0: school committee meeting february 22nd 2021 remote meeting by zoom executive session 5 p.m regular meeting 6 p.m to governor baker's march 12 2020 order suspending certain provisions of the open meeting law chapter 38 section 18 in the governor's march 15 2020 order posing strict limitations on the number of people that may gather in one place this meeting of the Method school committee will be conducted via remote participation to the greatest extent possible Specific information, the general guidelines for remote participation by members of the public and or parties with the right and a requirement to attend this meeting can be found on the City of Medford website at www.medfordma.org. For this meeting, members of the public who wish to listen or watch the meeting may do so by accessing the meeting link contained herein. No in-person attendance of members of the public will be permitted, but every effort will be made to ensure that the public can adequately access the proceedings in real time via technological means. In the event that we are going to be able to do so despite best efforts, we will post in the city of Medford or Medford community media websites an audio or video recording transcript or other comprehensive record of proceedings as soon as possible. After the meeting, the meeting can be viewed through Medford community media on Comcast channel 22 and Verizon channel 43 at 6 PM. Meeting of the Medford school committee, virtual information 5 PM since the meeting will be held remotely. Participants can log in or call in by using the following call-in number. One three zero one seven one five eight five nine two. 715 8592 Enter meeting ID when prompted 967-0486-2414. Additionally, questions or comments can be submitted during the meeting by emailing medfordsc at medford.k12.ma.us. Those submitting must include the following information, your first and last name, your Medford street address, your question or comment. Member McLaughlin, if you may call the roll.
1: Member Graham. Here. Member Krentz. Here. Member McLaughlin, here. Member um, Stone, Here. Member Rousseau.
2: Here.
1: Member Vanderclute. Here. Mayor longo Carn.
0: Present, seven present, zero absent. If we all may rise to salute the flag. I pledge allegiance to the flag, the flag of, the of the United States, States of America. America. And, and to the, the republic, republic for which it today. stands one nation Mm -hmm. under God, Mm -hmm. divisible justice for all. We have negotiations and legal matters and executive session, executive session of the Medford School Committee pursuant to general law 30A, section 21A to conduct a collective bargaining session on the basis that an open meeting may have a detrimental effect on the bargaining position of the Medford School Committee. Specifically, the Medford School Committee will discuss ongoing negotiations and hold a grievance hearing filed by the Teamsters of the 25 pursuant to the relevant collective bargaining agreement. In addition, the Medford School Committee will discuss strategy in preparation for pending litigation on the basis that an open meeting may have a detrimental effect on the litigation position of the Medford School Committee. Specifically, the Medford School Committee will be discussing pending litigation before the Massachusetts Commission Against Discrimination. School Committee will reconvene in public session before following the executive session. Is there a motion by a member?
1: Motion of, to move into executive session. Second
0: the motion. Motion to move into executive session by member McLaughlin, seconded by member Van de Klute. Roll call. Member Graham.
1: Yes. Member Kretz? Yes. Member McLaughlin. Yes. Uh member Miss Stone. Yes. Member Rousseau. Yes. Member Van de Klute. Yes, Mayor Longo-Kern.
0: Yes, seven the affirmative, here in the negative, we will revert to executive session. Thank you for your patience, everyone. We are gonna move on to approval of minutes from our February 8th, 2021 school committee meeting. This is our regular school committee meeting. Is there a motion for approval? By member Kratz, seconded by... Member Rousseau, roll call. Um, you're muted, Member McLaughlin. You...
1: Yeah, I, I'm sorry. I apologize. My Zoom screen keeps—I don't know what's going on. I'm figuring out. Sorry. Um, <laughs> uh Member Graham. Yes. yes. Member Kratz. Yes member McLaughlin yes member uh
0: Mastone yes member Russo yes member Randicloot.
1: yes Mayor longo carn
0: yes Seven so of the affirmative zero the negative the minutes are approved number three we have approval of bills transfer of funds and approval of payrolls first is 020821 payrolls and motion of approval and second is 221 payrolls is there a motion for approval of both yes Motion for approval of both by Member Vanderclute, seconded by Second Member Kratz. Roll call. Member uh,
1: Graham, yes. Member Kratz, yes. Member uh, McLaughlin, yes. Member MaStone, yes.
0: Member Russo, yes. Member Vanderclute. yes. Member Kranz, yes. Seven the affirmative, zero in the negative. Payrolls are approved. We have, do we have a report of secretary?
1: No, mayor, there is nothing in particular to report. I do have a new tally sheet that I think I sent to you all last week. I'll be sending at the end of each meeting um, to the committee and to Susie, just of the
0: tally votes nightly. So that's it, thank you. Great, thank you. Number five, we have report of committees. We have the rules. Policy and Equity Subcommittee meeting, February 10th, 2021, Member Rousseau, Chair.
3: Thank you very much, Mayor. Um, on February 10th, the Rules, Policy and Equity Subcommittee meet uh, met again with members uh, McLaughlin and Graham um, as my co-members of the subcommittee. Uh, we powered through an awful lot um, and um, we covered the uh, new annual reports and presentations schedule policy, uh, as well as six other policies. Um, I, if it's okay with everybody, I would actually like to just go through each of the policies. I'm not gonna read the whole policy uh, unless members want that, um, because we do need to approve each of those policies. Uh, But is there a motion to approve the, uh, actually, I I guess you do that, Mayor, I'm sorry, on the, the minutes. Motion
4: to approve the minutes. Now, do minutes. Do the minutes
3: have
0: it broken Have number
3: one through seven broken down? They do. I'm sorry. Yes. Uh, each of the uh, individual policy, they're in a different order. I apologize um, than the order that is on the agenda. But each of the minutes, each of the new policies or updated policies, are separated down into here, and all of all seven of them um, were approved by the subcommittee uh, unanimously to be sent up to us. Um,
0: Okay, so maybe we take them one at a time for those that have questions on each individual, I mean, each individual paper. So first up, we have JB, Equal Educational Opportunities. Um, Do you want to just give us a summary of that and then we can move for approval?
3: Yep, Uh, just a lot of windows right now. One second. (laughs) A lot of windows. Um, Let's see, JB. Of course, it's the last one. So uh, policy JB is the Equal Educational Opportunities uh, Policy. This was um, it, the first time that Medford is adopting this policy. It comes from, uh, the, the latest version of it comes from the Massachusetts Association of School Committees, February 2019 uh, policy newsletter that they send. Um, and um, this is a, all of these policies other than that uh, schedule policy are actually required by, um, the upcoming Education Stability Program Review, uh, which is formerly known as the CPR. Medford is one of the first 60 districts that will be evaluated. So we needed to get these policies on our books because they are required for this um, review. Um, So that first policy is probably the simplest of all policies in this pile. Sorry, too many windows here. Um, This policy is pretty standard. It is the, uh, that we won't discriminate based on all the things that we won't discriminate on. Are there any questions on this?
5: And
0: no questions for me. If motion for approval by member Graham, was that you? No, McLaughlin. Member McLaughlin seconded by- Second. Member Graham, roll call.
1: Member
0: Graham. Yes.
1: Member Kratz. Yes. Member McLaughlin, yes. Member Mastone, yes. Member Russo, yes. Member Van de Kloot, yes. Mayor Longo Karn,
0: yes. Seven of the affirmative, zero in the negative. Um, paper is approved. Number two, we have JFABC Homeless Students Enrollment Rights and Services.
3: Yes, thank you, Mayor. Uh, this is the uh, Homeless Students Enrollment Rights and Services Policy. Um, this is a um, I don't know if this one's a new one for Medford or an update. It says it's an update in the agenda, so I'll believe what I wrote before. Um, so this is a set of uh, policies on um, the rights of homeless students. Um, it's several pages long and it is, um, again, a copy of the policy that we received from the policy service that we subscribe to. Uh, we did not make any amendments or changes to that policy. Um, so if there are any questions.
6: Motion of approval.
0: Second. For approval by member Van de seconded by member McLaughlin. Roll call.
1: Member Graham. Yes. Member Kretz. Yes. Member McLaughlin. Yes. Member Mastone. Yes.
0: Member Rousseau. Yes. Member Van de Kloot? Yes. Mayor Longo Karn. Yes. Seven the affirmative, zero negative papers approved. Number three. JFABE Educational Opportunities for Military Children.
3: Thank you, Mayor. Um, so this is a new policy for Medford, I believe. Um, and um, is a, uh, like the other policies we've discussed, or is a required policy that we should have. Um, we had some conversations on this particular policy about whether or not this should cover just K to 12 or whether it should include um, up to age 22 Uh, for students with disabilities that um, have rights up until that age. Um, I'll tell you all what I experienced. Uh, I I took on the task of attempting to get an answer to that question so that we could expand this to up to age 22. Um, I don't know if it's a reflection of the last administration at the federal government level, or if it's a longstanding challenge with the Department of um, uh, Veterans Affairs or not but um, their websites that they have set up for this matter are filled with links that go to no pages, chat features that do nothing and are broken. Um, it was really quite uh, two hours of clicking around in their multiple uh, federal government web pages that were all dead, dead links. Um, I just eventually gave up um, because um, the, the, the help pages and FAQs don't go anywhere and are hard to get the answer. Um, so, I do I think we should stick a pin in it to um, expand this to be to age 22. If in fact we can figure out how to get the answer to the question about whether or not this, um, this uh, it, it, is an, it is a federal law, the, inter, the Interstate Compact on Educational Opportunities for Military Children, but getting the answer to whether or not that, when they say military children, do they need up to 22? Or just k to 12 it was a difficult thing to get an answer to uh, mayor the um member mclaughlin, member McLaughlin.
1: thank you thank you member rousseau for poking around on that website i'm sure it's um a bunch of dead links but i will um I-, I am fully confident in saying that um our students are students until age 22 um in the transition program for our students with disabilities and should qualify for everything that our k through, or pre-K through 12 uh, qualify for. So I would recommend to the committee that we vote to move this forward. And if there are further questions, I would also recommend that um, the administration could reach out to Mass Advocates for Children, which is a free legal um, organization that can offer advice, or the Federation for Children with Special Needs that can offer advice in this capacity.
0: So I make a motion to move this forward. Motion. For approval by Member McLaughlin, seconded by Member Vandeklu. Roll call.
1: Member Graham. Yes. Member uh Kratz. Uh, Member. Kretz. Kretz. Yeah. Yes. Thank you. Uh,
7: can you hear me? Yeah, yes, we, can, we
1: can. Thank you. Um, Member McLaughlin, yes. Member Mastone? Yes. Member Rousseau? Yes. Member Van de Kloot? Yes. Mayor Longo-Khan?
6: Yes,
0: 70 of is zero in the negative paper passes. Number four, JFABF, Educational Opportunities for Children in Foster Care.
3: Thank you, Mayor. Um, This is a policy also required for our upcoming, I wanna say CPR, I forget what the new name is. our new audit, our, our upcoming audit. Um, this, of course, is um, a uh, policy related to the uh, McKinney-Vento Act, um, as well as Title One and Part A um, of the Every Student Succeeds Act of 2015. Um, and this just lays out the rights of uh, students, as well as a definition of what uh, students that are in foster care. Um, so, if there are any questions, motions to approve
0: for approval by member. McLaughlin, seconded by Member Vandeklute. Roll call.
1: Member Graham. Yes. Member Kratz. Yes. Member McLaughlin. Yes. Member Mustone. Yes. Member Rousseau.
3: Yes.
0: Member <gasps> Vandeklute.
1: Yes. Mayor Longo Crime.
0: Yes. Some of the affirmatives are in the negative. The paper passes. Number five GBEBC gifts to and solicitations by staff. Update.
3: Member Rousseau. Thank you, Mayor. Um, so this is um, a policy that really is just a codification of the um, annual ethics uh, training. Frankly, that everybody who's a public employee has to take. Uh, there is nothing in here that is Medford specific. This is uh, this is the law um, as laid out in a policy.
0: Motion to approve. Second. I just have a question. Um, so this is this is an update. Um, but where it says the solicitation of personal items shall only be to benefit students. Does that mean like our CCSR (laughs) group couldn't do a coat drive for the homeless?
3: No, Mayor. this is just for, um, this is only for employees. Okay, so so
0: employees soliciting donations. Correct. So student groups could, perfect, thank you. Motion for approval by member Vanderclute. Vanderclute, seconded by. No, member McLaughlin. Member McLaughlin, roll call. Member Graham.
1: Yes. Member Kretz. Yes. Member McLaughlin, yes. Member Mastone. Yes. Member Rousseau. Yes.
0: Member Vanderclute.
1: Yes. Mayor Longo-Kern.
0: Yes, seven the affirmative, zero in the negative. I think my question was meant for number six sorry um number six gbebd online fundraising and solicitation crowdfunding
3: new thank you mayor um so this is a, a policy that um is also required i believe um and um is a codification of um state ethics and conflict of interest rules um i would say that um the specification of um, online fundraising platforms like GoFundMe, Kickstarter, Indiegogo, YouCaring, Donors Choose—those um, are examples. They are not; it's not an exhaustive list. Um, I know that I believe in our last term there were issues around one of the um, online fundraising platforms where the—I uh, don't—one of our uh, student groups, or maybe it was a sports or something like that, was using and. Um, they were taking I think a 30% cut or some very large cut of uh, the donations. And so that I believe is part of the the motivation behind this is to make sure that um, folks are using platforms that are not gouging um, people making donations but also to make sure that the superintendent is aware Mm -hmm. and um, importantly from the school committee perspective to make sure that we are aware. Um, we, We need to know when people feel the need to fundraise so that if those things really should be part of our budget, we, we get that insight um, and can make decisions on it. If everything is covered by fundraising and nobody ever tells us on the school committee that that's how it's actually being paid for, well, we won't know. So um, so that's uh, the motivation behind that. Are there any questions? Um, no, no questions, motion for
0: approval? Member, motion for approval? Graham seconded by member Kretz Roll call. Member Graham. Yes. Member Kretz. Yes. Member McLaughlin, yes. Member Mastone. Yes. Member Rousseau. Yes. Mayor Longo Karn. Yes. Seven the affirmative, zero in the negative. Paper passes.
6: You didn't okay. call my name.
0: Oh, I'm sorry. Member Van De Clear. <laughs> seven in the affirmative, zero in the negative, paper passes. And last but not least, annual reports and presentations
3: policy, new. Thank you, Mayor. So this is um, this was the actual work we had to do. The other policies were relatively easy because they were written for us. Uh, so the purpose of this um, is to create a schedule, uh, not actual dates, but a, a schedule of annual reports and presentations. Although some of them are in fact semi-annual, um, to um, provide clarity to school committee members who are coming in and who want to know when something's going to happen or find out whether or not something is going to happen, as well as guidance for um, the administration to know, okay, this is the list of things we've committed to doing. And and when do they normally happen? Um, Try try to bring that institutional knowledge onto paper. Um, So um, the the. There is one amendment to this um, that I'd like to make on page two. Um, It's, there is a bolded to do insert link to a definitions page and if one does not exist, create one that actually should be the MPS URL slash definitions. Um, It's a page that will be created very, very shortly. So um, I would offer that one amendment so that it is actually um, correct in the policy. And then, the schedule is the, is the thing at the end. Um, and these are the, uh, I won't read through the entire schedule, but it has uh, the, the name of the actual report or presentation, what type of meeting we expect to have it at, whether it's statutory, so whether the law or regulation mandates it, um, and the frequency as well as if there are any special details on when we would expect it like prior to budget um, and then a description if necessary any questions
6: mayor member vanderclute uh through you through the chair um first i want to thank the committee for uh laying this out and paul for the work you were doing on this um i think it's an excellent uh working document um to have at our disposal the um one thing i wasn't certain if i saw and i could be terribly wrong but i didn't see super i saw goals but the superintendent's evaluation.
3: So, if I may, um, mayor. Um, so, um, when we were we when we were meeting about this, um, we had that same kind of like, well, what about this? Um, and we there were many many of those things. Um, this was, um, I think, if I'm in the, the uh, member McLaughlin and member Graham can correct me, but but the the. Um, the way we ended up landing on what we mean by this is things that will be coming to us for presentation, um, and we decided that meetings that we must have, such as um, you know the annual the, the the first example that came up was the annual budget hearing, you know that is by law must happen. That's not on here, um, even though it will be a presentation. Um, it's it's really that there's a the meeting is what's required. Um, So um, the superintendent goals um, um, in evaluation, actually, is that not in here somewhere?
6: I saw district goals, but I didn't see any specificity around uh, self-evaluation or, uh, you know, that that would be part of what the school committee can expect
3: on an annual basis? Yeah, we didn't want this to be an actual calendar, uh, but um, we also didn't want to add things that simply for the most part don't exist right now. And I, I'm not sure we have actually had meetings to do that, um, but would that be a report or presentation that we would get, or will we get together and do something? Like when we do the superintendent's evaluation, we get together and we do something. Um, and that's not a report that would end up on the agenda or presentation on the agenda that we would receive a file that we would stick on the public website. Um, so I, I see your point that it is annual and that there is in fact a format to it. Um, but it's not something we will receive. It's something we will do.
6: Well, we, we, we receive, uh, if I may, we receive, um, from the superintendent, her, and and we need to expect um, to receive the uh, self evaluation. Um, so,
3: yep, yep,
6: right. So, so. that's that again. Uh, and I'm thinking as if I were a new member looking at this, that if it was put on, that oh yeah, one of the things I'm going to get is the superintendent's evaluation, and that's going to start the process. Um, you know, so in my mind, I think it it's appropriate. Um, Um, Of course, I understand the committee deliberated it a long time, but that was my question. Again, the other, uh, I I think you did a great job.
3: So um, if I may, um, just writing some notes on this. um, So are you offering an amendment to add the superintendent self-evaluation for a regular meeting? Actually, it's statutory, I believe, um, annually?
6: Yes, exactly. (laughs) Thank you.
3: Any other questions?
0: Motion to approve. Motion for approval as amended by member Rousseau and further amended by member Vandekloot seconded by member Vandekloot roll call. Member Graham. Yes. Member Kretz. Yes.
1: Member McLaughlin. Yes. Member Mastone. Yes. Member Rousseau. Yes.
3: Uh,
0: Member Vandekloot. Yes, Mayor Longo Kern. Yes, seven of the affirmative zero and the negative paper passes as amended. Um, number two, we have special education behavioral health subcommittee meeting, which took place on February 11th, 2021. Member McLaughlin, Chair.
1: Yes, thank you, Mayor. Um, <clears throat> we met, um, we, we split these meetings. So the first 45 minutes was specific to special education. We had um, a good number of parent participants and uh staff members participating we had some conversation about the epic leaders presentation with the common ground program at the high school and the epic leaders program is about disability civil rights ableism and person first language um we further discussed the common ground program that currently exists at the high school the common ground is currently a reverse inclusion program where um general education non-disabled students for lack of a better word join uh disabled students in their classroom and um which fosters uh friendships and um um and you know continued community relationships it's a program that has been very successful at the high school and uh, we are having discussion about expanding this program to the middle school we have been engaging the middle school principals and other staff members at the middle school to find, to garner interest there. Um, it was suggested by the director of people services and others that, um, and, and uh, educator teachers, both special education and general education, that we look at this as a potential elective course. Um, and we look at what a syllabus would look like. And Susanna Campbell, who is the, um, I believe director of speech and language, Um, has been presenting a disability awareness course and shared her syllabus with us to be thinking about what a syllabus might look like for a course like this. We had several staff members that um, had been part of the disability awareness curriculum and raved about it and said how important they think this is at a middle school level. So that was really good to hear. And then from the behavioral health um, component, we had a parent who was... Um, A lot of parents who are very concerned, of course, about social emotional needs of our children, particularly through the pandemic. Um, And there was a parent who was asking specifically about art therapy for the district. Um, We shared that there was a music therapy grant that had existed at preschool um, that was created that was uh, driven by a parent um, and that that we believe that that was not available currently. But, you know, asking about how we might pursue that. Um, and whether there is even also potentially community members that might be able to, or interested in providing art or music therapy within our district and what that would look like. Um, we, Dr. Cushion talked about initial stages of planning, uh, some summer work and hoping to build more outside activities through nature. Um, let's see, sorry. Um. We are going to do more research into the art therapy and social emotional piece. Um, Stacey Schulman talked about Leslie University's art therapy program and how excellent they are. We also had a parent who was very concerned about behavior supports for children in our schools and um, how that really alienates our children who are um, struggling with social emotional needs and exhibit that struggle um, through communicating by behavior. Um, We noted that there are four behavior specialists in the program in a district of 4,000 students, um, which was very concerning, uh, understandably. So we will be continuing this conversation and recommending policy um, by the year end. Uh, Our next meeting is March 18th from 5 to 6.30. We will do behavioral health first, 5 to 5.45 and special ed will be 5.45 to 6.30. Thank you.
0: Thank you, Member McLaughlin. Motion for approval by Member so Van de seconded by Second. Member Kratz. Roll call, please. Member Graham,
1: yes. Member Kratz, yes. Member McLaughlin, yes. Member ms Stone, yes. Member Rousseau, yes. Member Van de Klut, yes. Mayor longo kern
0: yes. Seven in the affirmative, zero in the negative. Minutes are approved. Number six, we have community participation. Emails, questions, or comments can be submitted during the meeting by emailing SC at medford.k12.ma.us. Those submitting must include the following information, your first and last name, your Medford Street address, your question or comment. Member Vandekloot, do we have any emails?
6: Uh, there are no emails to today. I do wanna mention that there is a curriculum subcommittee uh, from 4 to 5.30 this Wednesday. Uh, we're going to be uh, going back to what was on the agenda for a meeting that was canceled, um, had to do with our uh, um, world language program uh, and also um, uh, technology. Thank you. Um, number
0: seven, we have a report of superintendent. Number one, superintendent's updates and comments. Dr.
5: Edward Vincent. Good evening. Pool testing is going well. For our high school athletes, COVID testing is mandatory, but this is just another step towards some sense of normalcy as sports are on the way back. This past season, the only sports that could be offered were girls' ice hockey and gymnastics. Beginning March 1st, boys' and girls' basketball, swimming, and boys' ice hockey will begin their competitive seasons. Also on March 1st, fall two preseason conditioning starts with girls' volleyball, boys' and girls' soccer, golf, cross country, and football. Of course, at all times, all aspects of sports will be following COVID safety regulations. Medford High School will only compete against other GBL teams, and there will be no fans allowed. We are so appreciative of the testing that keeps our community safe. Let's go Mustangs. So last week, last Wednesday on CBS4 at 6 p.m., the Mustang Unity Poetry Contest received some great publicity from news anchor, Lisa Hughes. This month, nationally, CBS News has been featuring segments on Unifying America Lisa Hughes wanted to do something locally and came across our poetry contest. On Friday, February 12th, she went to the Roberts Elementary School and taped our third grader, Mr. Joe Hogan, as he read his unity poem. On President's Day last week, via Zoom, Lisa interviewed Violet Bell and Ibrahim Amar from the Roberts both remote learners who also submitted poems. Lisa told me she felt the students' poems give us all hope that we can become a more united community and world. I agreed wholeheartedly. Additionally, the segment seems to have been a big hit on our social media channels. We have received approximately 65 entries for the contest. Lisa Hughes will be following up with me to find out who the Mustang Unity poem winners are and the hopes to feature them on CBS4 Boston streaming service. So for any students who are listening, I am still accepting poems until 11.59 p.m. tonight. Please feel free to email your poem on Unity of not more than 10 lines to superintendent at medford.k12.ma.us. We are also accepting poems um, in your native language. If it is not English, we will get it translated. And we are also accepting illustrations for students that that would be appropriate for them to submit an entry. So we have until 11.59 PM this evening. And I do also wanna share with the school committee that I did receive my very first poetry entry from a parent today. And so we have parents that have been inspired. And so I was so happy reading that poem that I wanted to just put it out there to those that are listening. If we have parents out there, members of the school committee who may be inspired, you wanna write a poem on poetry, please submit your entry to superintendent at medford.k12.ma.us on unity up to 10 lines any kind of poem you want it to be. So I I wanted to share that um, good news and I was really pleased with the wonderful segment that um, highlighted the positive things that are happening in Medford public schools. I also have additional good news to share. I'm really happy our Mustangs are back at it again. So I wanna say congratulations to our Mustangs Ethics Bowl team. That group is under the direction and leadership of Mr. Esner. They compiled a 3-1 record and reached the semifinals with wins over Phillips Andover, Boston University Academy, and yes, Lexington High School. So I just want you to know our Mustangs are doing phenomenal work under these wonderful COVID conditions. So what does the Ethics Bowl do? The ethics bowl promotes respectful, supportive, and rigorous discussion of ethics among high school students nationwide. It differs from a debate competition as students are not assigned opposing views. Rather, they defend whichever position they think is correct and proper, with proper data and always respectfully. Ethics Bowl members learn ethical awareness, critical thinking, civil discourse, civic engagement, and an appreciation for multiple points of view. Great job, Mustangs, we are very proud of you. As we begin to prepare for the upcoming school year, so many parents have asked, what will the school like look Uh, What will the school year look like for next year? While there is much we do not know yet about next year, we want to provide you with an opportunity to share your experiences. To that end, we will be hosting listening sessions, which begin next week on March 4th. These sessions have been broken up by grade level and will provide opportunities for students, parents, caregivers, faculty and staff to participate. All the listening sessions will be held via Zoom. Each session will feature three breakout rooms, cohort A students, cohorts B and C, and cohorts D. Please be advised that translators will be available in Portuguese, Spanish, Haitian Creole, and Arabic, and closed captioning will be also provided. For those who may be unable to attend these sessions, We are accepting feedback via the email, info at medford.k12.ma.us. Again, feedback can be sent to info at medford.k12.ma.us. The questions that will guide these conversations include, what has gone well? What are the areas for growth? What would you possibly like to see for the upcoming school year? The entire schedule is listed on our website, the MPS Facebook page, the MPS blog, and PTO Facebook pages. As noted, we will begin on Thursday, March 4th, with elementary education. From 3.30 to 4.30, we will listen to students. From 5.00 to 6.00, faculty and staff. And from 6.30 to 7.30, parents and caregivers only. On Tuesday, March 9th, the same schedule will follow and will continue with our middle schools, And our third session will be on Thursday, March 11th. We will host high school education. Again, the same schedule will be followed. Our hope is that these sessions will provide us with invaluable feedback as we prepare for the upcoming school year. As always, please feel free to reach out to us at any time with questions or concerns. This Thursday, February 25th, will be our second building bridges to kindergarten presentation via zoom this session will take place in the morning from 11 a.m to 12 noon we hope incoming kindergarten parents and caregivers can join us again if you can't join we are hosting another presentation in march and you can always contact assistant superintendent suzanne galusi with any questions or concerns just a reminder Next week, Tuesday, March 2nd, we will be hosting a district-wide professional development day. Therefore, there will be no instruction, whether remote or in school on that particular day. Marie Cassidy of the Medford Family Network has informed me, and there's an all call, that many members of our community are in need of diapers. They are especially in need of sizes 2, 3, and 6. If anyone is able to assist, please contact Marie Cassidy at 781-393-2106. Again, um, they are in need of diapers sizes 2, 3, and 6. Our partners from Melrose-Wakefield Hospital, are offering free safe at home classes via Zoom. They're offering a class for students in grades four through six, and it's the Safe Sitter program, Safe Sitter. Completing this program does not mean that a student is ready to stay home alone. Only the student's parents can make that decision, but it will help students learn how to practice Safe habits, how to handle common household emergencies, and how to address illness or injury. The classes are being held on Saturday, March thirteenth, from ten to eleven thirty a.m., and also on Wednesday, March thirty-first, from four thirty to six p.m. Additionally, coming up in April, they plan to also offer safe sitter classes for students entering grades six through eight, our middle school age students. For them to be safe when they are home alone, watching younger siblings or babysitting. Students will learn life-saving skills such as how to rescue someone who's choking and what to do during severe weather. The lessons are filled with fun activities and role-playing exercises. For further information or to register, please email C-H-E at MelroseWakefield.org or call 781-338-7561. February, lastly, is fast coming to a close, but the Medford High School Black History Celebrations continue. School committee members, you are being invited if you're interested on Thursday, February 25th, Monday, March 1st, or Thursday, March 4th. The FNO Haitian dance performances are continuing to take place at the high school gym with strict social distancing protocols. All performances run from nine to 9.50 in the morning. Thanks, special thanks to assistant principal, Sharose Walker, who has spearheaded that initiative. If you'd like to attend, please contact her and let her know. The performance is quite uplifting and interactive. And in honor of Black History Month, let us remember the words of Representative John Lewis, who yesterday would have been 81 years old. Sometimes you have to get in the way. You have to make some noise by speaking up and speaking out against injustice and inaction. The Medford Public Schools, we are committed to doing that. Thank you.
0: Thank you, Dr. Edward Vincent. Um, Number two, we have COVID-19 public health update and Metro Public School COVID-19 testing summary and update. Nurse Supervisor, Ms. Tony Ray um,
8: and Mr. David Murphy. Good evening, everyone. I'm going to provide both community data and school data tonight. So the February 18th report that came out from the um, Department of Public Health, uh, Medford continues to be in the yellow zone. Um, Our percent positivity decreased to 1.08%, which is almost 50% less than two weeks ago. And this aligns with the decrease in the number of positive cases reported statewide. So we are very excited to, to, make that, um, to make that benchmark. For school data, our pool testing program started on February 4th. As of February 18th, 416 pools were tested. We identified three positive pools and completed the re- reflex testing. The reflex testing identified the, pos- the three positive cases through, posit- through a Binax rapid test, and it was confirmed by a positive PCR test. Athletes were tested on Thursday, February 18th, and no positive pools were identified. Pooled testing resumed today for all- at all schools for cohorts A and B, and results are expected in tomorrow morning. I'd like to also take this time to refer back to a request by member Rousseau, who had asked about the new CDC guidelines that were published on February 12th. And I reviewed them and would just like to make a couple highlights. The report focused on five major points of mitigation, mandatory masking, ventilation, sanitation, contact tracing, and testing. We meet guidelines one through four. Our students and staff are wearing masks regularly. We've improved ventilation at all schools. We are following the sanitation guidelines that are outlined by the CDC. And our school nurses are collaborating with the Medford Board of Health to complete contact tracing within the school. Of importance is that we are exceeding guidelines in two areas. We've made additional PPE available to all our staff such as face shields and desk shields. And we're also conducting surveillance testing. The CDC does not recommend universal surveillance testing of all students and and staff, and instead advises school administrators to determine in conjunction with their local health officials, whether to implement any testing strategy. Our testing program supported by Tufts University has been operational since September of 2020. As we have frequently discussed in this forum, the program has been instrumental in identifying positive cases, quickly isolating them and determining the close contacts from the school population. So if uh, you would like to discuss the uh, report in any further detail, then we can make um, arrangements to do so. Thank you. Thank you, Miss Ray.
0: Mr. Murphy, anything to add?
9: And just a couple of quick comments. Um, as uh, both, I, I know the superintendent said. I think Mr. Ray may have, may have mentioned as well. Um, we we're doing a really good job in terms of our ramping up our testing program, and as our testing numbers uh, increase, our positivity rate, consistent with the community's rate, is significantly decreasing. And so I think that. Uh, it will will require a continued vigilance to make sure that the testing program continues to be as robust as it is and participation continues to be as high as it is. That is particularly important with regard to student athletes and students who are participating in extracurricular programming in person. That is an element of the program that we are um, tightening uh, as we speak and student athletes and families of student athletes should know uh, that lack of participation in the in-school portion of the testing program um, will result in exclusion from those activities if uh, the the students aren't testing so we're sending out communications to that effect the athletics department is communicating uh, through coaches uh, and other uh, school personnel to make sure that that message um, is reaching students and families because the last thing we want is for anyone to be excluded from any activity but Um, given the nature of the programming. And as part of that continued vigilance that I mentioned, um, all students and and families should keep that in mind. And again, we're going to be communicating that again in a variety of of forms, but it is something that I think the committee and the community at large um, should be aware of.
3: Thank you, Mr. Murphy. Member Rousseau. Thank you, Mayor. Thank you for the report. I appreciate it very much. I know, I don't know if you're supposed to have the week off last week, but (laughs) um, I am grateful you managed to get through that um, guidance. Um, I I did have a question. Um, I've seen a number of articles and about um, somewhat uh, the unnecessary level of cleaning. I know that some, you know, early on in the pandemic people were isolating their mail for days. Um, And um, we certainly cleaning of our facilities was a major component of our work over the summer as to what the plan was going to be. Um, And I I certainly am understanding of how some things we do maybe just make us feel better. But my question is, um, are we doing cleaning that is unnecessary? Because I I think there's, there's two aspects to doing anything unnecessary around cleaning that concern me. One is the cost, obviously. And the other is something I talked about numerous times last year and there wasn't a lot of feedback but concern about whether or not these chemicals have truly the chemical industry isn't exactly known as the most trustworthy industry who's concerned about all of our safety until you know until they can go out of business after killing a bunch of people so my concern is um do we need to be doing cleaning all the cleaning we're doing and can we cut any cleaning out that is truly not necessary um even though it may make, and if we can, we should communicate that this is definitely no longer necessary, it's been proven to be not necessary. Um, uh, does anybody have any feedback on yeah, that? I, that, I
9: that mean, Mr. I think it's a good question and I think it's something that um, has been on our minds as the data and the evidence has continued to evolve over the course of the past year. and I, and. I not, I'm not a, a, a scientist and I, I think that this is a virus that didn't, to the best of our knowledge, exist 15 months ago. So we should all sort of have uh, you know, have that humility in recognizing that we don't know, we know more than we did a year ago, but probably not as much as we will a year from now. Mm-hmm. And what I would say is that um, there's, it seems as though there's a consensus that this, that the surface-based transmission concerns um, were potentially are not quite as great as they were at the beginning of the pandemic, right? That There's a pretty large body of evidence of that. That being said, um, there's uh, solid data that the what is used to clean these, the, the schools are non-toxic chemicals that um, are good for sanitation purposes. And they're not, I, I have, I've seen no evidence and no data to suggest that they're being um used to a point of reaching diminishing returns in other words we're not cleaning to the point where you, you if you feel like you're going to school in a windex bottle uh, i think that and i think while there is some there have been folks that have said and this has come up in some of the conversations we we've, we've had with um various uh, constituents including some um those representing some of the employees that uh sometimes when the what's known as the fogger um comes in and sanitizes a room like it can be irritating to, to, to some people. And so we try to time that in a way that you're not getting blasted with um, this non-toxic chemical um, immediately upon coming into a room. But I, I haven't seen anything to suggest that we need to scale back those efforts because it, to the, I've seen no evidence to suggest that it would do any harm. And I, we haven't reached a point where we're exceeding our financial capacity due to some of the financial support that we received specific to the pandemic relief. And so I, I think we're striking the right balance there, but I think it'll be something that certainly going forward, we'll have to take a closer look at because if there's the evidence that it doesn't actually do any good, I think we have to look at the cost aspect to it.
3: Thank you. And um, I had a second question in this um, um, around, um, I, I, I've heard, You know, I'm very happy to hear that there's there's a, Robust sounding protocols around sports participation. Um, I am concerned or uh, unclear about why music is not not happening yet. Um, and um, you know, uh, anybody who's played an instrument and anybody who has participated in the sport, um, I find it hard to believe that unless you're doing maybe a trombone or some of those some of those instruments with excessive requirements. Um, what? Why are we not doing? Music.
8: Okay, so, so I'll try to answer that for you. Um, the amount of exhalation that comes out of any of the instruments is, is the point of concern amongst the by the medical community. Um, so until we, you know, so we can figure out a way to successfully filter that the recommendation stands to avoid doing that in person. Um, and we have followed, you know, those recommendations. I do believe that, um, the, um, a group of percussionists, um, will start getting together soon because that is an instrument where there's, you know, no ex- um, exhalation. Um, I think the color guard, um, is also, um, having practice sessions. Um, so you know, we are making the, the strides that we are al- allowed to make right now. And there hasn't been any further recommendations from the Department of Education on that.
3: So, it's, uh, sorry to beat this horse a little bit, but um, and we can all acknowledge that sports gets a very different level of attention and concern from our society in general. Um, so my question is, is so the, the studies about the amount of exhalation for these instruments Um, similar studies have said that doing all this physical activity in closed quarters is in fact not producing the same amount of exhalation. I mean, I I feel like I'm I'm not terribly in shape. So I, maybe I just breathe an awful lot if I even start to work out, but I I just think it's like we we have this robust scientific based standard for music, which is great. And then do we really have that same standard for, for sports?
8: So, I mean I'd say I can I I wait for the guidelines to come out and I and I ha- I make recommendations based on those guidelines so that that's where I've you know that's the position I've taken um, fo- following whatever safe guide you know safety procedures we can so thank you that's the best I can answer you
9: <laughs> it's, it's I would just say it's a fair it's a very fair question Um, One aspect is with the music program being part of the school day, um, there are restrictions on the mandatory testing element that we're able to impose on athletics because they're extracurricular in nature. That doesn't answer what I think the point of the question is, which is the discrepancy in terms of potential scientific standards. But it is one variable that does distinguish the two situations, at least internally for us.
7: Um, Member Vanderclue, did you have a hand up?
6: Um, I guess to that point, is the orchestra playing?
9: The, I don't no. believe so. Not, not, not at the moment. Okay. Although I, I, I would just say that I think that assuming the progress and that's sort of why I tried to start my comments with this idea of heightened vigilance, it's my hope that if the data continues to be favorable, that vigilance is the word that we keep going back to, um, because that it will become an uh, increasing need for us to remind ourselves of the need to have a robust testing program, of the need to stay out of school or out of work if you have symptoms, of the need to um, if you are close contact to to make sure that you, you're you're quarantining. Because if the if the trends continue, the likelihood is we're going to be receiving new recommendations around music, around occupancy, and around some of these restrictions. That not I don't think we're going to be hearing any news about mass anytime soon, but. For these types of things, these are conversations that we're hopeful that we're gonna be having in the spring and seeing what elements of, as uh, Dr. Fauci would say, normality that we can um, begin to to reinstitute within the district. And I think that will stretch from the academic programming to scheduling to extracurricular and and, uh, so on and so forth. But that's all of these things. It's a little premature right now, but I think right now, if we are able to maintain that vigilance, that could be where the conversation goes next.
0: Thank you very much. Um, next up, we have number three report on financial update for the city of Medford. Miss Alicia Nunley Benjamin, Chief Financial Officer for the city. Thank you for joining us, Alicia.
2: Thank you, School Committee members. May I share my screen for the presentation tonight?
0: Yes. Um, yes, please. You should you should be good? Yes, to you're go. a co-host.
2: Are you able to see my screen right now? With the presentation? Yes. Okay. So for Q2, the city is meeting its target revenue estimates in total, but not by every single revenue stream. So for instance, my Q2 budget estimate for motor vehicle excise is higher than what I actually collected My boat excise tax is about on target. Uh, My penalties and interest is actually up. Um, No pilots because they're not expected until Q3 and Q4. Hotel excise is down, which we would expect. The hotels got hit the hardest due to COVID-19. Our local meals tax is doing well. Um, I have a community impact fee, it's extremely small. This is the first year we're receiving it. Our fees are higher than estimated. Our rentals are on target. our departmental revenues are on target. Our license and permit is below what we would have expected. Our Medicaid is actually below uh, what we would have expected actually, excuse me, above our estimate. Uh, fines and forfeits is below. Our investment income is below because the rates have dropped so much and miscellaneous is about where we would expect it. As of right now, there's still no federal stimulus, and we're watching the American Rescue Plan with Biden, hoping he's going to give us some additional stimulus to cities and towns. He did extend the CARES Act to December 31, 2021. Here are the actual numbers. So you can see my Q2 budgeted receipts versus what I actually received. So you can see for my motor vehicle, I'm actually down 82000 for my boat excise, I'm up 546. For my penalties and interest, I'm up 90,674.06. For my hotel, I'm down 9,925.76. Local meals, I'm up 22,105. Community impact fee, I did not budget for. As I said, it was new. And that's only cents. Fees. Are up 156,871.47. Rentals are on target. Departmental revenue up 14,832.81. License and permits is down 110,540 and 85. Medicaid is up 82,232 and 85 cents. Fines and forfeits is down 28,926.20. Investment income is down 50,095 and 53 and miscellaneous is up by 5,777 and 16 cents. This is my 2021 cherry sheet receipts. This is the final. When we did the budget, we had done that 10% projected conservative cut. And when the governor level funded the chapter 70, we reprogrammed that difference back to the schools through the city council. This is the final 2021 cherry sheet assessments to the city. Of 12,716,837. Here is my uh, local aid summary from 2021. For Chapter 70, we had budgeted 11,053,769. We actually got 12,143,306. That 1,089,537 was reprogrammed back to the schools and unrestricted general government aid, also known as UGA. We budgeted 11,916,986. We actually received 12,880,443 a difference of 963,457. In other revenue streams, we budgeted 31,317. we actually got 2,317,259. For our assessments, we budgeted 11,884,634, but our actual assessment was 12,716,837, so we will actually pay 832,203 more than what we thought we were gonna to have to pay. And oh, do you notice a little asterisk I put is 82,442 is directly to the public library. This is our fiscal year 2022 preliminary revenues. And if you can see right away, we actually dropped from 27,341.008 to twenty seven zero zero one two six two. the biggest being charter. The charter went from 1.9 to 900. So we lost a million right off the top on the charter. Our fiscal year 2022 preliminary assessments are more than fiscal year 21s at 12,948,591 versus 12.7. So this translates into 132,420, which is a slight increase in chapter 70, a three and a half percent increase to unrestricted general government aid of 450,816, but a decline in our other aid by 840,029 and the largest decline as I had pointed out was due to the charter. In addition, our assessments are up from 12,716,837 to 12,948,591 that's 231,754 more. That's a hit, direct hit in a reduction to our budget revenues by 488 by So due to COVID-19 and the resurgence and the economic decline that's happening and that we're in a recession right now, the city implemented a spending freeze for non-emergency uh, spend expenditures and hiring. The state has indicated a, that we're in a recession with a recovery range between fiscal year 23 and fiscal year 25. So that's when I <coughs> Massachusetts said since this is currently in an economic recession, it gave these figures. So as of February 2020, GDP decreased by 3.4 percent and 31.6% in second quarter declining tax revenue. Meals and motor vehicle decline shown in April 2020. July 2020, state taxes started to recover. 48% of jobs recovered in October. However, the pace of economic recovery declined due to the resurgence of COVID-19. State growth dropped from 6.8% to 2.2%. In fiscal year 21, year-to-date state tax collections 2.7%. 2.7% 2.7% more than fiscal year 20, but two thirds of that revenue is collected between December and June. So the state said a lot could change. They might get less than what they're thinking. At the state level, 8.1% increase in regular sales tax, negative 31.9% in meals, an 87 increase in motor vehicle sales, a negative 53% in room occupancy. And one of the big concerns is what our assessors will be facing, which is commercial market, fair market value is slowing down. Certain property types are really struggling, such as retail, malls. Um, So they're also concerned about businesses closing effective January 1st. This will affect our, our assessments, our values, and our new growth, and pressure on assessors to abate. Hotel occupancy rates plummeted and don't expect to recover until full implementation of a vaccine and the prediction to return to normals between 2023 and 2025. Massachusetts lost 4,000 restaurants due to the pandemic. Independent restaurant sales are down by 30% rural, 40% suburban, and 45% urban. So how does that affect our city with the economic decline? So our local receipts for fiscal year 20, we projected 20,063,416, and we actually received 19,105,993. So we were actually short 957,423 last year. Fiscal year 21, we projected 15,830,089, a $4.2 million loss from the prior year due to COVID-19. New growth and assessed values could decline in fiscal year 22 due to significant decline in the commercial sectors, as I said before, such as shopping malls, office space, retail, auto dealerships. The decrease in projected fiscal year 22 local cherry sheet aid of 488,547. we currently have a five to $8 million budget deficit projected. Fixed costs such as health insurance, waste management, pension, they continue to increase. The city used free cash last year to subsidize the general fund budget. But it's important to note that free cash is our only general fund reserve, is a one-time surplus, it isn't guaranteed every year. And we cannot deplete our entire reserve, this would be catastrophic to the city's finances and bond rating. And without additional federal aid for revenue losses, the city is facing a tough fiscal year 22. But we are watching um, the package up at the federal level and we are very, very hopeful. So with the CARES Act that came out, um, hope we have gotten extended to December twenty, December thirty first, twenty twenty one, which is great. But it restricted us to only COVID nineteen eligible expenses. The good news was there was a no cap on the schools, so relating to the schools, HVAC, getting the air better for the children, there was no restriction on that. Whereas there was a cap on eligible capital expenses on the city side of 150,000. So the city is still experiencing large revenue losses and the reduction in the budget is entirely due to the economic fallout due to COVID-19. The cares act was, was awarded May 14th, 2020 extended to 1231, 2021. The city has been charging 75% of COVID-related expenses to FEMA and 25% to CARES. The landscape at the federal level shifted with the change in administrations. As a result of this shift, FEMA has indicated that both eligibility and reimbursement rates for the FEMA public assistance program will be expanded upon, and we're still waiting for the guidance on how that's going to work. Um, we're still waiting to hear back also on our October submission that we sent to FEMA. The CARES Act award to the city was 5,093,008. In fiscal year 20, the city had encumbered 65,756,22, expended 132,155,03. This includes 25% of the COVID-19 FEMA eligible expenses. As fiscal 21, the city has encumbered 1,611,030 and expended 2,741,800. The schools in the city will be using the remaining 2.1 for PPE, contact tracing, vaccination, and various other COVID 19 related expenses until December 31st. FEMA doesn't have an expiration or award total. The program is open for eligible COVID 19 expenses. In fiscal 20, the city had encumbered 47,384.03 and expended 288,388.36. In fiscal year 21, the city has encumbered 78529 and expended 184348 The FEMA funds were drawn down on October 15th. We still haven't heard back from the Fed. As stated earlier, the FEMA directives on eligibility have shifted from the Trump administration to the Biden administration, and the city is awaiting further guidance on the new directives. The CARES Act funds, 53% were allocated to the schools. 2.64 million has been expended by the school's year to date. And I just showed a little graph so you could see the infrastructure, such as the HVAC, and facility modification, personal protective equipment, sanitation supplies, technology, instructional materials, and contact tracers. In fiscal year 21, the schools were awarded 2.3 million under the CRRSA Act, or the Coronavirus Response and Relief Supplemental Appropriations Act. ESSER II, Elementary and Secondary School Emergency Relief Fund Grant, signed into law on December 27, 2020. And below are the three buckets taken from DESE, which are academic, social, emotional, operations, Uh, these slides were shared with me through uh, the school finance side so any specific ESSER questions should be directed to the school assistant superintendent of finance so this is the academic focus from DESE high quality instruction early literacy k-12 skill building planning and implementation summer learning diagnostic assessments social emotional focus uh, unique Needs of Low Income Children, Students with Disabilities, English Learners, Racial and ethnic Minorities, Students Experiencing Homelessness, Foster Care Youth, Behavioral and Mental Health Support and Services, an additional 10000 provided per district allocation for mental health services and support. And Operations Focus, Educational Technology, Supplies and Services, School Ventilation System Improvements. Planning for and coordinating during long term closure and other activities. And this is just a summary of those three buckets, just broken down further in a summary view. So, free cash and retained earnings include actual receipts in excess of revenue estimates and unspent amounts in departmental budget lines items for the year just ending. So, this was certified by the Department of Revenue on January 4, 2021. The general fund free cash is $8,534,241. And the enterprise fund water and sewer retained earnings is $6,59,512. And I put a note on the bottom. Enterprise water and sewer fund budget is independent of the general fund school budget. It's completely different, it, it operates its own expenses. It's for the ratepayers of water and sewer. Uh, the enterprise fund budget was 24,808.9 with enterprise fund water and sewer retained earnings of 6059512 In conclusion, the city's Q2 revenues are in line with our production overall. But as you can see, some of the revenue streams are below what we expected. Even though overall, we met our projection for the quarter, we're expecting more of a decline to start in Q3 with the COVID-19 resurgence. Therefore, the city implemented a non-essential hiring and spending freeze in January while closely monitoring revenues throughout the pandemic. The city's CARES Act stimulus has been extended under President Biden to December 31, 2021, with the COVID-19 resurgence. Under President Biden, the FEMA public assistance program will be expanded upon to increase reimbursements from 75% to 100% for certain expenditure types, and we're waiting for the guidance. The city's local aid cherry sheet estimate is less than prior years, decreasing our fiscal year 22 budget funding. The schools were awarded an additional 2.3 million in ESSER II funds. The city is hopeful that President Biden will award additional stimulus to cities and towns greatly impacted by the health pandemic to help offset the projected fiscal year 22, five to $8 million budget deficit. And the following slide is just a display of general fund school expenses year to date. And it has payroll posted through February 11th. Thank you.
0: alicia for the presentation i know that you presented to the city council on wednesday of last week and i thank you for coming to the before the school committee to present as well just to give us an overall picture of where we're at you're welcome Mayor. um I don't, let, me, let me just make sure there's no questions and we can move on Mayor. yes mayor Yes, Member Rousseau, the Member Vanderclue.
1: Excuse me, can we please stop sc- sharing the screen? So we sure. do have to-
0: Thank you.
3: Um, um, thank you for the presentation, Alicia, uh, Ms. Nunley, excuse me. Um, you said charter a couple of times. Uh, I just wanna be clear that that's charter school reimbursement, correct? Yes. Thank you. Um, you also mentioned in one of the early slides that um, the additional funds were reprogrammed to the schools Uh, We did not do a supplemental budget. So I don't know where that money went or who decided where it would go. But um, I I, I noticed that in the last recession that the school committee came together and did a supplemental budget when there was more money available than had been anticipated. Um, We didn't do that. So I'm just confused how money can just be reprogrammed from city council uh, unless that money was sent to facilities or something. Does anybody know where that million went?
0: Mr. Murphy?
9: So this was the appropriation that was made at the end of August, or I think it was initially introduced on the floor of the city council at the end of August and then appropriated in mid September. And there, in terms of where it technically sits, it's in a personnel line item because there were positions uh, that, as I understand it, were uh, technically eliminated from the FY 21 budget, from the FY 21 budget with the understanding that, if the district was made whole by way of this additional appropriation when the chapter 70 funds came in, that the those positions would be restored. And so when it became clear in, again, this was uh, this in my arrival, but only by a short period of time. And so uh, I was, the, the positions were essentially restored at the very beginning of August. That ate into a large chunk of that funding and other components of it have been made uh, as it, it's in a personnel line item, line item the personnel uh, needs that were identified over the course of the year I'd have to go back and, and actually check but I believe it's technically the, the million dollars is still intact but is necessary to bridge other gaps that were identified as we went through and reconstructed the FY21 budget so I'd be happy to make a more comprehensive presentation as to Exactly what those uh, priorities were, what they were, how they were identified, but essentially that it's primarily in personnel and positions that uh, needed to exist in reality but couldn't exist in the budget at the time the budget was adopted.
3: Thank you. Um, So, speaking of the budget, though, um, so when we get to our next budget. is the budget going to say that the last year's budget was 62500000 or $62,250,000? $62, or is it going to say that it was $63 million and change? Um, yeah. I, you know, I, I don't understand this like we can just throw money onto the budget that wasn't in the budget. So when the next year comes along, what was that year's budget? Because year-over-year comparisons matter a lot. It,
9: it should include that million dollars
3: but we never approved that so that cannot how can that include that we did not approve that budget
9: but the the appropriation was was made to the school department if we can go back as i said make a more comprehensive presentation so that it's been formally adopted
3: so is the school committee actually not required to approve a budget because it can be any number we want let's let's approve a budget for a hundred thousand dollars the city can allocate a whole bunch more and everybody's fine it didn't matter whether we did it or not is that true I think what's what I think to be
2: defined is the school committee adopted a budget the city council, a supplemental appropriation came through, which city said the mayor said, you know, we're going to hold the schools harmless. So if chapter 70 comes in higher than we expected, we're going to, she gave that money back.
3: So she I, I understand the that. Council oh, sorry.
2: And so the city council at that point programmed it back. I don't know the mechanisms after the point of which the mayor to city council, then how it comes back to you. I just know as long as a supplemental revenue comes in before the tax rate is set, it can be added to the budget.
3: Thank you. I, I actually, I, I paid all the attention during those times and I'm very happy the money came back and that the, you know, the promise was there. That is not at all my concern at, at all. I, everybody did everything they could here in this regard and I'm very happy about that. I guess I don't know, and, and Member Vanderclute was here for the 2008 recession when there was supplemental budgets that were sent to the school committee for approval. Um, it, if that is not legally required, then just somebody has to say that and I'm fine with it. But when we start comparing year over year budgets, which as a school committee member, I have done for the last decade or more of budgets, I need to know which document is the real document. So if money can just be tacked on willy-nilly, not willy-nilly, money we were promised and we were given and that's awesome. But what's the truth? What's the budget number? I thought the number we approved that we spend months in meetings to get to, like that last budget was not fun. The next one's going to be worse. Are we going to do it all? And then in the end of the day, whatever we approved was sort of like, pointless? Like, did we really not do all that work for a reason? I think
6: I think
2: what what you're saying, it makes sense. But what we're saying is, since there was additional funds, we just program them back. At that point, whether or not you the superintendent or the assistant superintendent programs the supplemental, I, I don't know, I can't define that. But I can tell you that your budget can be added on to anytime before the tax rate is set if supplemental funds are available.
3: Thank you. Um, I have one more question. I'll just get out of the way unless. Um, um, so um, with the, is it the CRRTS? Uh, there was a lot of different le- letters in that one. Um, I, I was very happy to see the three buckets. Um, but one of those buckets in particular to me is staff. So are we actually able to hire full-time employees, not contractors, not in you know, money that will disappear tomorrow actually add full-time employees from that those grants
9: from the uh, you're asking about the 2.3 million yes I think the answer to that is yes but we should the sort of important cautionary note with that is that as of right now that funding is intended to last over the course of the next two plus fiscal years and so $2.3 $2.3 million spread out over that period of time. And I think it's all of our hope that there'll be additional uh, injections of federal funding at both the city and school side. But as of right now, it's a $2.3 million reservoir on a budget that already has, as was mentioned, what is effectively a million dollar reduction out of the charter school reimbursement. It's a, That's a little bit of a misnomer to call it a reduction, I think, but certainly practically that's what it amounts to. Um, over you know, close to three years. And so that's not a lot of personnel, I think is is the sort of the point that I'm making. Trying to attempt
3: so, to. so we should not get excited that we're gonna be able to hire a bunch of um, counseling staff. You know, it looks like a big number, but even if we could hire all of them, the day that the grant money runs out, we'd have to fire them all or find something yeah. else to cut in our school budget to make up for it. So yeah. we are yeah. at present have no capacity to add mental health counseling. There's no money for that, really.
9: I wouldn't. I would say that the 2.3 million dollars uh, is not a sustainable funding source for a significant uh, additional, a significant number of additional staff over time. It's one, it's not that much money, and two, it's uh, over a long period of time. And the point that I, that you're making is that making uh, charging reoccurring expenses like personnel to one-time funds creates in effect a fiscal cliff that we get to a point in which we still need the counselors, but we don't have the money. Now that doesn't mean we can't think about strategic investments to help bridge some of the gaps that have been exacerbated by the pandemic with this funding. I I don't think it's the case that no no portion of $2.3 million will go toward personnel. I think some will. I just think we have to be smart and strategic about how those investments are made.
3: Thank you.
0: And, and on, on top of that, it's just the fixed costs that are going up as well that we have to cover on both the city and the school side that is going to greatly be affected by, um, good or bad, the Biden bill. Um, and I know that the state legislature, uh, Rep Donato, uh, Gabarly, and Barber are advocating for that charter school reimbursement to try to supplement that somehow for the city of Medford. So they're actively having meetings on that. So my fingers across for that as well. Member McLaughlin. Thank you. Um,
1: so is there what I was hearing th- during that conversation was there's no process for supplemental budget should the in the you know odd occasion that we are reallocated additional funds. Is that accurate?
9: Well, I wouldn't say that there's no process for it. I, if the, I, th- I think if the, if the committee would like us to make a more comprehensive presentation on this, I think that would be a good idea. And to Mr. So's point, I, there would be nothing wrong with taking a vote to formally adopt the uh, budget, including the supplemental portion that was made in September. I don't, this does not in any way is not like this next comment is not in any way to diminish that process, but it would be to some extent a formality due to the expenses that, as I said, existed in reality, but were not necessarily incorporated into the FY21 budget. There may be some priorities that the committee could identify that could uh, be rendered by that additional vote but i it would not be to the tune of over a million dollars because of the expenses that are baked into the budget and the need to have uh the financial runway to close the fiscal year
1: um may i mayor just respond yes member mclaughlin thank you so i hear you um clearly we were you know in need of that Million dollars and more, and so I understand that you know there were expenses that were already there for that to be allocated towards. But, or, and to member Rousseau's point, our charge as school committee members is to approve a budget for the school and how the money that is allocated to us from the city is spent. So, in the off occasion in this extreme circumstance where there is an additional allocation. It seems to me there needs to be some process getting back again to that flow chart that we have a meeting to approve a supplemental budget before moving forward with any spending.
9: Again, I I, have, I think if the committee would like us to make a more comprehensive presentation, we I don't think the administration would object to that in any way. I would say that the, the administration did brief the school committee in mid-September after this appropriation was made and did formally notify the committee of this additional funding that came in. That's not to say that the committee did not take any action at that time. And if the committee would like the administration to formulate recommendations or options, I, I, don't, I don't think there would be any problem with that and certainly something that we could do going forward.
0: Member McLaughlin, are you done? now member vanderclute and member
6: rousseau yes i um i just wanted to to thank miss nunley for her presentation and i was curious alicia could you um could you send this to us um because there was a lot in it and um a few things i'd really like to go back and and uh take a look at more so again appreciate the report please send it to us yes i will send it directly to the assistant superintendent of finance to provide
2: to the school committee thank you thank you member Rousseau?
3: um, I, 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 um, about whether to have a actual supplemental budget or anything like that. I just want to also, there's an optics thing going on here. I, I hope everybody is aware, you know, last year we had a lot of conversation about whether it was a level funded or whether it was a cut. Um, I think most school committee members will tell you that a level fund is a cut. Um, and you know, if you're, talking, if you're in finance and you're talking dollars, well, one dollar is one dollar. Um, but our budget was cut by three and a half million dollars. And the optics around whether we're going to have another cut coming up and whether that is a one million dollar cut or a five million dollar cut, we need to be able to all agree what the real number is. So if people flip open the budget from last year and it's 62.5 million, it doesn't look good for the mayor. If really it was 63.5 million, because if we go to 63.5 million. Well, that looks like we added a million. But that's level funding this coming year would be 63.5, 63.5 million, not 62.5 million. So we really do need to, as a committee and as a, a as a city council and everybody, frankly, needs to agree on well, what was the number? Because That number is absolutely going to be a major talking point very, very soon. And if we're all talking with different numbers about what last year's budget was, it's not going to get, it's going to be, we're all going to get to be right. We're all going to say we increase the budget. Others of us will be able to say we cut the budget and it's a waste of time when we're actually supposed to be talking about what's in the budget and what, what's the effect of the budget, not whether the numbers really went up or down. So I, I just, I think it's an important point. I don't care whether we get around to having a vote on an actual supplemental budget. The money came in. We knew it might come in. I'm super happy it came in and we can restore some staff. I, nobody disagrees with any of that stuff if I can assert that. Um, but what, what that number is, is critically important that we cannot be disagreeing on um, by the time we get to the next budget.
2: Thank you. I, I think to be, to be clear, um, the budget number was 61250000 and it went up by your supplemental appropriation to 62339537 thirty nine five thirty seven, and that would be a fact. The fact that you had a budget and then you had a supplemental appropriation to increase your budget, that is your budget number. So your number is that increased number, not the original vote but the supplemental on top. And in addition to that, we also reprogram capital funds for you guys to use for any capital items that you needed. Um, That was also in addition to the 2.6 that was allocated from the CARES Act. So I think it's important to see the whole picture. And I think even more so, and I'll try to make a point of doing this uh, for the school committee is showing you the actual costs that are on the city side, that are the schools like the Medicare, the workers' compensation, the health insurance, the dental. I'll try to break that out so you can see all pieces to make it really, really clear of how all the pieces actually work. Right, Uh, 53% of the city's
0: budget, it does go to the schools. And when Ms. Patterson decided to do a 5% increase without the city's knowledge, um, that led to the 3.5 million over-level funding. So yeah, I argue that we did not cut cut the budget, but I can see what your point, Mr. Rousseau, a level funded budget seems like a cut budget when you talk about fixed costs that are going up every year. So it's a tough to swallow and it's a tough situation we are once again facing.
3: May, may I respond, Mayor? Member Rousseau? Thank you. Um, we have a budget document that sits on the website. We can all figure and say what the budget is. The public? And think I think most Of us, flip open that document, and that's the number—not the number that's in the not in Excel, not the number that is in you know the finance software. The number is the number in black and white on the official budget document. And um, you know, when we're comparing ourselves to other communities, which I know I do all the time, and the public does it, and I think most of us in this meeting do it. You know. It's a an, it's an painfully apples and orange comparison. Medford public schools, we take care of our own buildings. In Somerville, the custodial services, all buildings, all utilities are completely on the city side. So somebody would look at the Somerville public schools budget, looking at that same document like we have, and they would make a very wild conclusion, conclusion about spending in their schools compared to ours. And that's just an unfortunate reality of the way that uh, Massachusetts does school funding. But my point is that um, the number that's on that document, that is the budget, not any number that you say, that with all due respect, Miss Nunley, the numbers that you named are numbers in accounting software. And unless we all in the public have the ability to just log in and look at them, those aren't the numbers. The those numbers are, are the black records. and red.
2: My general ledger is a public record. It is audited by account outside exterior accountants, and it is supplemented by those votes. And my general ledger actually supersedes that budget book. So in law, when I get audited, that gets submitted up to the federal and the state and is audited. So my books are law, and I can submit the law to you on that.
3: Uh, but so can you send me the URL so I can access them?
2: Yes, I can. I can send you the report. With the number, and I can also send you the URL to the law on my general ledger on my books. No, I mean the URL to the general ledger. Well, my it's an ERP system, so there's not going to be a URL into an ERP, but I can send you the report
3: happily. But the public wants to know that number randomly in the middle of the night next week. Where do they go to get it? They don't.
2: Oh, well, we shared it, we did share it during the city council, so it's on the report that was provided to city council. I also provided a copy of that to the media and I'm also gonna provide a copy of the presentation tonight to you. And it's also in the last slide.
0: Thank you, Mr. Murphy, Member Kloot, Member McLaughlin.
9: I was just gonna say, I think that the, the point that's being made is that there needs to be consistency between the public facing documents and the official documents that Ms. Nunley is referring to. And so we can work closely with the city to make sure that each of those numbers align The only other point I would just add is that the million dollar supplement is just one component of why there is at times variability, because there are just as another example, in addition to the 2.3 million that we expect to flow in 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 two different chunks, for lack of a better term, over the course of the spring, but then extend beyond the fiscal year, we were also notified, and I referenced this in the presentation at at the last meeting, that uh, DESI was allocating an additional uh, uh, had a formula that that produced a different a, a, an additional allocation for COVID related relief funds from the initial grant that we were up until January under the impression had been fully exhausted. So that's another two hundred and sixteen thousand dollar variance that's that's come in, and it's not at least under these circumstances under which we're operating, uncommon to have those those types of injections that and so the budget is fluid in that sense i don't think that takes away from mr Rousseau's point or at least it's not intended to that in order for the community to have a full appreciation and understanding as to what the amount of funding that the district is using to operate we need to make sure that we have as much consistency as possible but it's it is not as simple as just making sure that alicia sends me a document and i put it up on the website because there there is that level of of fluidity particularly when the state and the federal government are swooping in at various points with funding that at times is, has certain restrictions on it. So I, but I think consistency and clarity is, is the point And that's, I think everyone's priority. And so that's something we can reaffirm our, our efforts on.
0: Thank you, um, Mr. Murphy, member Vandekluth and member McLaughlin.
6: Yes. Um, well, Mr. Murphy just referenced this, but, uh, and he said, it, uh, it, it would not necessarily solve the problem, but I can't, you know, in order to address some of um, my colleagues concerns, um, can we post where we have our budget, um, a page explaining, you know, additional funding was coming from the su- supplemental, um, and then, um, uh, you know, doing the addition or whatever and the, and the final number, just just to make it clear, uh, and to keep track. Um,
9: Absolutely. Yep. And so, I think it's important that we do.
6: Okay, if you could, could do that, I think that that would at least be a start.
9: It may change at various points because, as I said, what I would have posted in January is not going to be the same as what we would post now. Um, and to reference the federal legislation, it is conceivable that that number could change as a result of that. If it does, I hope there aren't too many restrictions on it, and I hope it's not time sensitive. But um, you know, that is that is another potential potential so variable. So
6: clearly, what you're expressing to us is it's a fluid situation, so that when you post it, you can post it with that caveat as well. Yeah, and I'll,
9: and all I would say is that means it's our obligation to to update the postings as as necessary. I'm not in any way suggesting that we shouldn't be as transparent as possible when when these numbers change. It's just that um, uh, everyone should understand that it's it's not set in stone.
6: Yeah. Thank you.
0: Thank you, Member Van de Kloot. Uh, Member McLaughlin.
1: Thank you. Uh, I'm also still looking for, and, and maybe um, Mr. Murphy can help with this or my colleagues. I'm also still looking for a process regarding this. So I still want some process of when this happens. In addition to, I think it's great to have a budget addendum posted on our website. That sounds good. Um, but I think that I, I want to see this at some sort of process in the budget flow chart or timeline um, for when this occurs what the community and the school committee can expect that the process will be around the understanding and notification of um, supplemental funding
2: I'd be happy to forward the vote when the city council votes the money to school committee or to the assistant superintendent finance to provide to the school committee to vote I, on how they want to put that in the budget
9: I, I think that I think that type of formal communication is, would be helpful, but I I, I do want to stress that the administration did immediately brief the school committee when this funding was appropriated. I think that what I'm hearing is a desire for a more formalized process and to make sure that there is the, the adoption consistent with the sort of traditional adoption process that occurs in the spring. I think that is uh, smart. I think that's important. I think it's necessary from a clarity um, perspective. I just don't want anyone who only hears a strand of this conversation under the impression that the city council appropriated a million dollars and the administration stuck it in a drawer somewhere. Cause that, that is not what happened in September.
1: I Fully understand that Mr. Murphy. Thank you. But you're right. A formalization of the process
4: would be helpful. Thank you. Thank
7: you. Thank
0: you. Member Graham.
4: Um, thank you, Alicia, for your presentation. Um, uh, so just to sort of close out the conversation around the supplemental appropriation, I think one of the most valuable parts of the budget process um, for the community. And I, I know for myself is that's the opportunity where we say, we're going to hire a middle school health teacher, for example, and that person, that headcount, is in the budget. And then we know what to look forward to the next year. So I do think we should, get a full accounting of the the budget's plan for that million dollars plus, not because I disagree with, or I anticipate disagreeing with how you have spent it, because as you said, the reality of the positions we needed versus the positions we could afford to pay for before that amount of money in in the form of teachers, aides, et cetera, like the, that reality um, was just, exactly that it was a reality and further the money came so very late in the cycle that I am completely comfortable that you all had to put teachers in place to start the year literally at like within days of the appropriation. Um, So I I don't think that um, it's a matter of like feeling like there's discretionary money in there, but I do think it's worth the time to say, this allowed us to reinstate four elementary school teachers, three middle school teachers, two high school teachers, whatever, because to, to us, to the community, to the kids who have those teachers, like they don't, they don't know that those teachers weren't going to be there had that money not come through. (laughs) Right. Like you all know that, but I think it's really important for the community to know just how, um, you know, just exactly how that happens. So I do think that is important. And I do think um, to make sure that the community is clear that you have the support of this committee, we should take an official vote um, to make sure that that can live as part of the the overall documents. So I'm happy to make a motion if that's necessary. Um, if you just want to put it on a future agenda. I'm fine with that as well, but I do think that is really important when it comes to people understanding the situation as it unfolded in real time, how that has translated across the year, um, and, and to establish an important baseline for the next discussions of the budget. So, um, uh, superintendent, do you want me to make a motion or do you want to just provide that accounting? I
5: think you could, if you make the motion, are you stating that you're gonna accept what has already gone forward or you still would like an additional presentation? Because- well, I, I, I would yeah, like a
4: presentation so that we can vote on it. I, I don't know what we would be
9: You'll, def, you'll definitely get on. a presentation. Okay. You're, you're, you're <laughs> definitely, you are, I just made clear, you're absolutely gonna get a presentation, you're gonna get an okay. itemization and uh, we'll do our best to, to, to flesh that out. I would rather uh, just commit now to a comprehensive uh, presentation that you would frankly need anyway, because as was referenced earlier, it's the starting point for FY or one of the many starting points for FY 22. The other caveat that I would put on that is that we're at a place in the fiscal year, this only referenced the the freeze on non-emergency spending that the city has imposed. The district has also imposed a freeze on uh, non-essential spending What that means essentially is it's not a complete freeze on all spending, but all administrators and department heads have been notified that any spending, including any hiring of personnel at this point will be subjected to a higher degree of scrutiny prior to the approval of any purchase orders. And so um, that is not because we are expecting any type of crisis as we close out the fiscal year, but it is because we've gotten to a, a. a place in the in the fiscal year in which we have a responsibility to be uh a, have a heightened vigilance with regard to our, our financial position. And you'll that will be reflected in where that the the that funding currently sits and, and where it stands. And so the committee should just be aware of that prior to us coming in because if we come in and say there are 750, I don't know that this is the exact number, but if we say it, there's 700,000 750,000 remaining from that million after we restored positions i don't think it's that i don't think it's that much but if we go in and say that it may be the case that that's the 700,000 that we need to bridge all other gaps and have the funding necessary in order to close out the fiscal year without getting too close um to you know, being in the negative which we're not allowed to do so um, there's a lot of fluidity at this point in the in the fiscal year which is why Um, depending on the level of concern that sort of determines the, the, the sort of um, tightness of the freeze, if you will. And in this case, we're at the point where it's not a complete freeze, but it's a non emergency spending freeze.
4: Okay. Um, That, I think that would be helpful. And then I, I do think as a committee, we should take a vote to formally approve those numbers so that they can be posted to the website and there can be no mistake about, um, the committee's support or or lack of, but I don't anticipate that personally um, support yeah. for I, the the supplemental budget.
9: I, I think that would be really helpful, and I think I think that it would be important for the for the reasons that you've stated. And I promise this is the last caveat that I will add. But at the time that we presented on the supplemental appropriation in September, you may recall that there was a significant number of personnel question marks as we began to as we continued. Uh, to implement the hybrid learning plan. And as we sifted through some of the personnel challenges that were coming up as a result of the pandemic, um, some of those question marks resulted in additional costs. And uh, some of those question marks just have lingered throughout the entire school year. And so there's a real sort of personnel heavy focus on some of that uh, conversation. And for members of the community who might be wondering, well, why is the committee not voting to adopt this until March potentially? That is reflective of the sort of uncertainty and additional fluidity, both in terms of how much money would flow in and what types of costs there might be. We had a significant, I'm not, I don't want to go into too much detail about this, but like, we had a not insignificant adjustment that occurred today as a result of various like, uh, um, pandemic-related personnel uh, changes that um, isn't frankly uncommon, but it would have an impact on the types of numbers that we're talking about here. And that's just, that just happened to, that that just is indicative of what sort of the day to day life is like in operating this type of budget with this many variables in a pandemic. I promise that's the last thing I'll say until I, you know, I'm muting you.
4: (laughs) So, uh, Ms. Nunley, I had a couple of other questions for you. Um, You you referenced um, being able to provide information to us around. Um, costs that are incurred by the city um, that are reflective of schools. And my question for you is: Are you planning to do that for all departments? Because I would not want to see you do that only for the school department and not do an equal um, allocation out of those costs to all departments. Because that will that will that will kind of skew the look of those costs. So I either you're going to do it, or you I don't want you to do it special for us on. If you're not going to do it for the rest of the city's
6: department,
2: I mean, we do it. We we do it for enterprise fund, which is separate, and then they have indirect costs, so we break those out. I think it's just important for the school committee to see those costs, so that they understand that those are on the city side. So when you see those increases, we don't just think, okay, we're increasing the city side, but we're cutting the school. That's not the case. If if it's, if there's a seven percent, you know, increase to school health insurance it should be stated it's a 7% increase to school health insurance, not 7% we took from the schools and we gave to the city. And I think it's really important for the public. And I think it's really important for the school committee to see that.
4: I, I am fine with that as long as that 7% increase, which is going to be applied to the police department, the fire department, the department of public works, and all the other um, departments in the city that hold staff, that same increase would happen across the board. So. All I'm asking is that if we're going to provide that level of information that we do so in a in a collectively um, objective way, and that we don't cherry pick out stuff for the schools that we are not cherry picking out to all the other I think my confusion with that that is that has is the potential there's a
2: school side I'm, I'm just confused if you could just clarify there's a city side budget and a school budget and I think but all I'm trying to do is show what is in the city's budget that applies to schools because the schools have its own. If I was to take all the costs that mm-hmm. in the budget and put it to the schools, when the ch- they do their chapter 70 calculation, it would actually give less funding to the schools. There's a reason I, why, but I think
4: it's important for the I school- know that's not, that's not what I'm saying, but what I am saying is when you talk about the school as a department, um, It's not unlike talking about any other department in the city in terms of every department brings forward a budget and the community watches those budgets and they watch the numbers. Do they go up? Do they go down? And all I'm saying is if you're going to present that information as money for the schools, which it certainly is, we just need to make sure that we're having a rounded discussion about that so that the money for the schools for health insurance is is identified for whatever it is for this for the employees who are here but then that comparable money for the city's employees whatever they are um it it is talked about in the same way that's all i i just i don't want oh, i see people what you're to think that no, that be are getting something and then other departments are or aren't like there's health insurance across every department in the city because everyone who has employees incurs health insurance and that is paid for by the, the so, sort of city's general line item. So if you're going to break out city line items, I just want to make sure that we're really breaking it out and we're not just sort of tagging it to school. Because that, to me, that no, it, causes other it, it, problems in how we talk about things. No, it would be well, like, thinking, for instance,
2: 18 million is health insurance, 12 is the school, 6 is the city. That would be the type of
7: breakdown.
0: Yeah, city versus school. So $17,223,842 went to the school's health insurance. That's 81% of health insurance, where the city side is 19%. We break it down from city and school, not by city department and school department, because you have special ed, you have um, maintenance. um, So we do city and school. I can't have Alicia breaking it down every single department. I I think that would take far too long.
4: As long as there's some way to understand and rationalize those numbers, like the city, the school, right. Has more employees, which is why those numbers are higher. Um, So as long as there's just a way for somebody to reasonably look at the information and say, I understand what this is telling me. I'm fine with that. What I don't want to see is us throwing numbers back and forth in a way that um, confuses the, confuses the discussion about whether the city's appropriation to the schools increased or decreased. I feel like that number, like, I feel like when we start talking about, but we pay for other things, it's, it's always to sort of demonstrate that that appropriation is not the only thing that comes to the school. And that's true, but that's true for every department that has an, that gets an an amount of money in their budget from the school. So I just want to make sure we're talking about apples and apples. So, when we talk about that appropriation, we all can just be clear about what's in, what's not in, um, what that number is, what it is not, and did it go up, did it go down, or did it stay the same? There should be no debate about that, about that information. And um, as, you, as we sort of alluded to, when we talk about the school budget, a disproportionate amount of the school budget, perhaps unlike many other departments in the city, is based on personnel those costs go up every year by contract. Um, but like 90% of our budget is personnel oriented. So when we talk about, um, you know, increases or decreases that affects real people in the school department, um, in a way that is not necessarily the case in any, in, in any other sort of budget. Like usually there's a, a little bit more non personnel charges in a budget, right? So it's something very unique about how, um, what we pay for in our budget. And so when we talk about increases, decreases, et cetera, we are talking about people positions disproportionately than than maybe kind of people generally expect. So I just wanna make sure that we're doing our part on the school side to have a more clear and transparent budget. I think you guys did a fabulous job on the city side last year and really sort of changing the professionalism and the look of the budget. It was very clear. I want us to do the same. I want us to be really transparent about our revolving accounts and our um, grant funding. And you know the CARES Act stuff I think is a great example of all, this, all the grant funding that we receive from various sources. It all has rules. So while we're getting $2.3 million for the next couple of years, we just had a discussion about how that's, it's really not a, a viable funding source to add counselors because those are people and they have ongoing recurring costs. So I just wanna make sure particularly um, as the conversation starts to unfold about the budget that we can be clear about the fact that the people in Medford public schools who service our students are part of the budget that is served by the city's appropriation, um, the grant funds that are being issued to us via, for purposes of like pandemic mitigation have strings and we should just be clear about what they are and how we've spent them. Um, and I, Mr. Murphy did a presentation last time, so that there can just be no confusion about, but we got more money. Like if that money doesn't come without sort of strings, we have to on, you know, we, we can't spend it if we're not honoring the, the intent of that money. So I just want to be really clear so that we're not confusing the community about like, what does this extra money mean? Does this extra money mean we could have hired a teacher to do something yes or no. Um, So I just want to be super clear about that. And then um, my last question is when will the school department expect to receive the city's appropriation number for us to be able to start our budgeting process?
2: So we haven't given a definitive number because we didn't want to give you a really, really low number, not knowing what the Biden administration is doing. So we've been watching that. So hopefully fingers crossed (laughs) In the next few weeks, they'll have something. We're hoping the Fed will. Um, if they don't, um, we will meet with the uh, school administration and discuss numbers. But as of right now, as I told you, five to $8 million deficit is what we're looking at. There's no if, buts, <laughs> ways around it. If we don't get any more federal funding, we're, we're in a, another bad position for fiscal year 22. But from what we're hearing, Biden has said he wants to give money to cities and towns, just can they agree, settle it, and, and how's that gonna look? So again, it's, it's just too fluid, so we don't have a definitive number as of right now. But as soon as we do, we will um, definitely let the school administration know.
4: And um, if, is there a sort of a date where you will say, we don't have a number and we have to move forward with our budget planning?
2: Yes, and I'd have a discussion with the mayor on that. I'd let the mayor make that call.
4: Okay. So that decision hasn't been made yet is what you're saying?
2: No, because we're still waiting for the Fed. So we haven't made an a, a ultimate timeline. This is it. We're, we're waiting right now. Hopefully we don't want to be too quick to draw and then something changes. We want to give a really good number.
0: Yeah, and the, the, um, the five to eight million, some of the lower end of that is without increases. So we're looking more towards the eight plus budget gap. So what Biden has proposed could cover that. I'm hearing it come as soon as the end of March. So I am hesitant to start either budget until we, at least, at least until the end of March, um, because that is, a, I don't know where, we will find um, eight million dollars to cut. I just—we've already
4: turned over all the rocks here, so <laughs> definitely not. Um, okay, that—that's helpful just to know. Like, are we talking about a week, a month, or whatever? Okay,
0: thank the, you. The last I've heard is that by the end of March they're they're expecting it, and just my fingers across. And as soon as we hear something, we will let school committee and city council know.
1: Great, thank you, Mayor. Is that, M- Member Graham? Is there a motion on the floor, Mayor? No
0: it's just to get a um uh, accounting for the 1 million which i would expect within the next month month and a half mr murphy um but there's no motion i think we trust that we will get that in one of the next one of the two or three p- upcoming school committee meetings yes
6: uh, yeah
9: i think it's it's the next one or the one after that depending on what else you have on the agenda would be my expectation okay and we great. can certainly we Thank can you. we can provide just um you know, detail, a detailed analysis of it in writing even before that so that you can, you know, be prepared for the conversation as well. Uh, that wouldn't necessarily have to wait till the presentation, I don't think. Thank you, Member Vandekloot.
6: Mayor, yes, again, I'd like to uh, thank Ms. Nunley and I'd like to make a motion to accept their report and put it on file.
0: Motion to receive in place on file by Member der Mayor. Member Rousseau.
3: Um, we have not received the report, so I don't know how we can receive it and place it on file
6: we did well we received the report um i have not seen the
3: report other than the, the the presentation that was displayed on screen
6: yes and in in our conversation i did ask miss Nunling to send it to us which i trust she will but it is typical that you receive a report and place it on file um so uh i i don't have any reason to uh not think that the uh, this presentation then counts. It, it, Paul, it's the way that you move on the conversation when we don't have another um, when we don't have another motion to to approve. This is the way that I, we end the discussion and move on.
3: If I may, um, I mean, there was a lot of numbers and a lot of slides that were excellent, and I would dig into, and I would have spent hours digging into them before the meeting if I had them so i I mean unless we want to have this presentation done again at the next meeting i I need to see this thing before i can vote to accept it well you've made your motion so
6: well i'll i'll make the motion to say uh i mean miss nunley already said to me that she was going to supply to us but i make a motion um that the director the city director of finance supply to the school committee uh, a copy of her report um
0: Yes, motion on the floor by Member Van de Kloot, seconded by Member Kretz. Roll call. Member Graham.
1: Yes. Member Kretz. Yes. Member McLaughlin, yes. Member Miss Stone. Yes. Member Rousseau? Yes.
0: Member Van De Kloot? Yes. Mayor Longo Kern. Yes. Seven the affirmative, zero in the negative. Um Motion is approved. Next up, thank you, uh, Ms. Nunley-Benjamin. We appreciate the presentation and the update. Thank you. It's been sent. Thank you. You can do a money dance to the feds. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. Take care. Um, Number four, we have a report on Medford's selection as one of four participating districts for the Massachusetts Family School Partnership Initiative. Um, Desi, Dr. Maurice Edward-Vincent.
5: Um, This was just to formally announce that um, back in January, on January 26th, we submitted um, an application. Uh, Member McLaughlin um, helped and um, worked with the district saying, let's take our chance to pursue the Massachusetts Family School Partnership Initiative. And this was something that was offered for the entire Commonwealth. And um, we were really pleasantly surprised that Medford was selected for this opportunity. Again, this is an opportunity um, to work with uh, um, the school to look at family and school partnerships, initiatives working collaboratively with DESE and that um, they will work with a a tactical team, a a small group of uh, administrators, parents, um, possibly 10 to 12 people to say, how can we further improve our school um, and family partnerships as a district? Um, they particularly asked for um, team members from special education, um, English learners, a com- community partner, student support staff. So um, a lot of the work that we um have prioritized uh, working with our most vulnerable, but um, being part of this uh, collaborative with Desi, where they would support us with professional development and coaching uh, to help in uh, additional training to help us as a district to further promote our family school partnerships. So this was just to notify the school committee that um, we were one of four districts that was selected for this year to participate in the initiative. And as additional information becomes available, we will definitely share it with the committee. Mayor.
0: Thank you, Dr. Edward Vincent. Member Kloot.
6: Um, yes. So first, I want to thank my colleague, Melanie McLaughlin, for bringing this to uh, our attention. I know there was a phone call um, a couple of days afterwards, and I know uh, I was on it and, and uh, Melanie was on it and, in fact, uh, took a, um, you know, participated and uh, Dr. Edward Vincent was on it as well. Um, I think that probably really helped uh, that you uh uh, both, both were there, and um, I just—I I don't know exactly. Um, is there a dollar amount attached to this, or is it more in terms of um, hours of training, or how how is it stipulated? Member McLaughlin. Oh, sorry, Dr. Edward Vincent. And I remember To member McLaughlin, thank you.
1: First, I want to say thank you so much for being open to the opportunity. I think it's a really exciting opportunity for Medford. And we will have an orientation um, with Desi um, on Thursday, the 26th, that so we'll, we'll be finding out more. It'll be an announcement of the um, four districts that were selected. And um, I think it's primarily going to be an understanding of some frameworks and some training and uh, a look at best practices and implementation and strategy. Um, But we will be hearing more and can report more out after the orientation on the 26th. Great.
6: Yes,
0: sorry. Just filling my water up. Sorry,
4: Member Vanderklou.
6: No, I'm I'm done. I just thank you,
4: Member Graham. Um, this is really exciting. Um, thank you for doing the work to get this in. Um, I I don't know how the group that they will work with will be formed, but I would just like to ask that at least one member of this committee is included in the working group. Um, I think the visibility. Um, the committee to have into some of this this work is really important um, when we talk about connecting to the community and um, you know certainly budgetary questions that come when you start talking about really formalizing systems and structures um, that would be needed to support um, enhancing our communication protocols so um, any you know I I, I don't know exactly what the makeup of the committee is but I would just want to make sure that there is some representation from the school committee. Yes,
5: mem- Member Member McLaughlin uh, has uh, definitely actively been involved in this um, process. We-, we are going to confirm and uh, work with some of the administrators and um, the different stakeholder groups. But many of the stakeholder groups are the populations that we did identify as our most vulnerable. And just to respond to Member Vanderclift's question about the cost, we're not technically receiving a monetary amount, but the training, the coaching, um, you know, access to uh, Desi personnel—that's um, everything—is kind of being covered by the Department um, of Elementary and Secondary Ed. So it won't be a hard number, but again, how we quantify the training and the mentoring and the professional development, I'm sure um, it will be valued at a significant amount of, of um, if we could, you know, come up with a number, it would be substantial. And I, again, I, I think it's um, an honor for us. I, I wasn't sure that we were going to have a chance because we are a much smaller district and, um, I was just assuming that the larger districts probably would be given um you know the benefit of the doubt, so I again wanna um also just extend a special thank you to member McLaughlin, who um reached out last month and said we should you know take a chance and and give it a try to see if we have a chance and um thankfully, it worked out for medford so um I look forward to updating the committee about um, as we get more information, but updating you on the progress and the training, and um, you know what Desi will be offering to us because we we won't know until we start going to the information sessions. Thank you.
8: Thank motion you. Motion to approve.
0: Motion for approval by Member Van de Kloot, seconded by Member Mag. Second. M- oh, sorry. <laughs> Roll call.
1: Member Graham, yes. Member Pets. yes. Member McLaughlin, yes. Um, Member Stone, yes. Member Russo, yes. Member Van de yes. Mayor
0: Lungo Karn, yes. Seven the affirmative, zero in the negative. The motion passes. Number eight, we have old business, which I don't believe we have any. Number nine, communications. And then number 10 is new business. And we only, we have one resolution um, offered by myself. Be resolved that the administration provide to the Medford School Committee an update on progress toward renovation and upgrades to the two Medford High School student restrooms as contemplated by previous allocations of funding and direction by the school committee. Be it further resolved that the administration be prepared to provide an update related to these projects at the next regular scheduled meeting of the Medford School Committee on March 8th, 2021 to determine what if any portion of the September 2020 capital improvement appropriation should be directed toward the advancement of these projects as well as adding additional bathroom upgrades to the list to be complete on or before the start of the next school year. I I put this on the agenda. I know we voted on this probably almost a year ago. um, And since that time, we had a number of upgrades that we've done to our, all of our schools, Uh, four and a half million has been put in to get our kids and teachers safely back to school. And part of that was HVAC and fans and windows and HEPA filters. So I know the building and grounds have been very busy but I wanted this to be put on because I think the restroom projects are extremely important and where we were able to use CARES funding for all the other work. I know there's the 816,000 which we need to do a few things with, but once we figure out cost estimates for the security upgrades and the boiler, um, I would really hope that we could do more than two bathrooms at the high school because I know they sorely are in need, in need of renovation and up um, upgrading. We've heard that for quite some time. So I thank Mr. McLaughlin for being on tonight and kind of us, giving us an update. I know Member Kretz has the building and grounds subcommittee, so some of this work obviously will flow through that, but I just think it's important the committee talk about that 816,000 in depth so that we can work on getting that spent on much needed improvements in our district. Member McLaughlin.
1: Thank you. Do you is there any indication of um I know it might be you know sort of digging down into the details a little bit? early, but I'm wondering if there's any indication of which bathrooms I'm specifically thinking of, um, the, the bathroom that the public uses whenever they come into the high school facility. Um, and it's also an accessible bathroom. And every single time I go into that bathroom or I bring my children into that bathroom, I, I cringe. And I think about all of the, you know, community that is one of their first introductions, frankly, to our school. Um, um, that bathroom right in the entranceway. So I'm wondering, is there any um, priority list for which bathrooms would be
0: renovated first? Um, I'm just, I'm really concerned to make sure we get them done this summer while our students are not in and before the start of the school year, but I can pass it off to Mr. McLaughlin if you have any updates on that and then member Krups.
3: Hi, good evening. Good evening, uh, Mayor and uh, School Committee, and Superintendent.
2: Uh, We did make the choice that we were going to do two second floor bathrooms uh, at the guidance guidance suite. Um, Our original pricing came in a little bit more than we expected. So procurement had me uh, hire an architect, at which we do have the plans and the specs that are ready to uh, go out for pricing information. And I would assume that it would be a vote of the school committee to send that forth, uh, the, the, uh, the specs and the plans to get pricing on the two bathrooms next
3: to the second floor guidance suite.
0: Thank you,
7: Member Kretz. Yes. Um, yep. So I actually have a building and ground subcommittee meeting scheduled for next week. And we were going to have this on the agenda. And then I saw it as a resolution on tonight's meeting. So before tonight's meeting, um, John and I, he had sent me a. Um, the specs and I believe everything is ready to go over to or yep for us to take a vote to send it over to procurement so they can send it to the specs to go out for bid so that um, you know we can get the cost and then we'll know more about how many bathrooms we would be able to do Um, So I'm not sure, you know, I was thinking that maybe this evening, we would take a vote to send the RFP, like the specs out to go out for RFP um, this evening. Member McLaughlin.
1: Thank you. Thank you, um, Mr. McLaughlin. Um, And I'm fine with making a taking a vote or making a motion to take a vote to uh send out an r f p and I guess I would just you know like it um on the record that I think that um that that bathroom should be a priority for you know bathrooms that we're doing, especially with it being an accessible bathroom um and meeting a d a compliance as well so um I would just put that out there as well, but I'm happy to make a motion to move this to an r f p um, for bathroom renewal, if I can have a second.
7: second.
0: Well, my only question on the RFP is if we're able to do more than two, and we put it up out to bid for two bathrooms, and with the eight hundred sixteen thousand, we're able to do more than that. I want to make sure we can capitalize on how many we can do. A member, Graham.
6: So
4: um, I, I just had a couple questions. Um, I feel like it's always customary to see the specs or the designs before you would send it out to RFP. And I just wondered if the original resolution was to do this at the next meeting, which would afford time for us to see like whatever it is that the architect has come up with. Um, So that might be helpful. And then I guess the other question that I have about the $816,000 is um, it sounds like Mayor, you're suggesting we spend more money on bathrooms, but we still haven't had a capital planning meeting. And I'm concerned that there are other capital needs that should super, we should do the bathrooms too, in in my opinion, but if there's only $816,000, are we sure that that's the best spend of that $816,000 or are there capital needs that are more pressing that we should be focused on? So I guess I would just also not want us to commit to spending um, that money until we have that capital improvement planning discussion um, to know what other expenses are ahead of us.
0: We could call one next week. I know Mr. Murphy, you you have like three projects plus the potential ADA accessibility improvements in the front entrance that I think are the four projects that we could use for this 816. So I don't know how you want to handle that.
9: Yeah, I I think it makes sense to um, present it in as comprehensive a format as possible. I think that if the committee has specific priorities that they would like the administration to move forward on I I think, you know, certainly um, we'd want that direction. And and I'd encourage you to to take that vote. I'm not sure um, voting on a specific, RFP uh, based on a bathroom, um, you know, I I could see a situation in which that would uh, potentially hinder the administration's flexibility to issue those RFPs um, as necessary, which I don't think would be an intended precedent, but that might be, I think, something that would be worth um, taking that into account. But I don't, I think that if the committee would like to see the specifications on this particular project first, I think that's something that it's i think was mentioned has been it's already been provided to the um subcommittee we can certainly circulate that to the um broader to the full committee um so that's one piece uh i think that we could i am pretty sure we'd be able to uh, issue the rfps with the necessary flexibility to make sure that we even if we had issue two frankly that um we could receive uh, potential proposals both with re- with the flexibility of doing more than uh, one set of bathrooms and the ones that were previously identified on the second floor. I think we could do that, but again, that would be a reason I would say that um, once the committee's given what it, it believes to be sufficient direction to the administration, we should begin issuing those so as to not wait any longer than is necessary. And then to the final point, I, yes, I, I think it would be good if we presented uh, the list of some of the capital priorities that we see as most pressing. The reason the 816 is still intact, frankly, and this may sound like it echoes the conversation related to the chapter 70 supplement, is because we initially intended to use that for emergency measures related to the pandemic. Our access to the CARES funding based on what the state was saying was eligible criteria was expanded. We ended up using more CARES funding. As a result, the 816 is is still there but I do think a comprehensive articulation of those priorities would, would be in the, in the committee's interest. So we can prepare that if, unlike the itemization of the million, if we had more than a week on the capital articulation, I think that would probably make it for a more uh, detailed presentation.
0: Thank you, member McLaughlin.
1: So I can withdraw the motion for that information if we can have it between now and the, in the next school committee meeting. And then I would ask um, also on any ADA compliance or accessibility issues that are there that um, those are shared as well, please.
9: Thank you. Just to be clear that's shared as part of that articulation of the capital priorities. Yes. Absolutely, yep. Okay. But I guess, Mayor, the one thing I, is there any, Is it the uh, position of the committee that you'd like us to hold off on issuing the RFPs related to the restrooms until you've uh, had a chance to, to, to take a vote? Because with those specifications having already been shared, my inclination would be to get the RFPs out as quickly as possible, understanding the need for the flexibility that if there's the capacity to do more than the original set of bathrooms, then we'd want to try to maintain that flexibility if possible. But if that's the direction the committee wants us to provide at it just because of the timeline that gets attached to these yep. i'd rather get the rfps out and then there's still room and time for us to articulate the broader set of priorities
0: yeah i'm, I'm interested in moving the process process forward so i didn't know it was at that stage when i inquired a couple of weeks ago i just thought it kind of fell to the wayside because of all the hvac improvements that um we're getting done
9: in the sense that it we all we've done is get quotes, and I mean, we've done, and Mr. McGoffin spoke to this, his work with procurement has put us in a position where we're now um, ready to, to issue the RFPs, but the lack of moving forward on the funding is a result of, of being mindful of the pandemic-related expenses. Member Graham?
4: I, I think um, it's not my sense that you need our approval to issue an RFP, is that true?
9: It would be a, I've never seen that precedent of, of needing okay. to issue an RFP. So I would be hesitant to adopt that precedent now.
4: Okay. And if, if you're going to require a vote based on a set of specs that I haven't seen, I'm not going to be in a position to say yes, but I also am perfectly fine if there is no need for a vote to get you to issue an RFP. <laughs> I'm totally fine with that too. I would still like to see the specs. Um, they haven't been provided to me. I don't know if that if. I've just fell off the email or if there are others. So I would like to see the specs. I don't personally need to vote on having you issue an RFP because I feel like that's regular course of business for the administration. I agree with that. Okay,
0: so we'll need to call a capital improvement plan meeting, especially as it relates to the 816,000 so that we can get a better idea of what needs those four projects that need to be done. And if there's any extra to do additional work. Um, Member Kretz?
7: Uh, Yes, um, I have the specs that John forwarded to me. Um, I can share them with Susie and she can send them to everybody. That'd be great. Yep, thanks.
0: Okay, so which can just amend this resolution to call a capital improvement plan meeting to especially discuss the 816,000. Is there a motion for approval? So moved? Member Van De seconded by Second. Member Kratz. Roll call. Member Graham.
1: Yes. Member uh Kretz. Yes. Member McLaughlin. Yes. Member Russo. Uh member Stone. Yes. Member Rousseau. Yes.
0: Member Vandekloot.
1: Yes. Uh, Mayor Longo Kern.
0: Yes, seven the affirmative, zero the negative, paper passes. Uh, number four, we have school committee resolution and we have a condolence. The Medford School Committee expresses its sincere condolences to the family of Barbara Scopa, a former traffic supervisor and school lunch employee who is the mother of former school community schools administrator assistant Denise Scopa. If we all may take a moment of silence. Thank you. Motion to adjourn. Motion f- to adjourn by Member McLaughlin, seconded by Second. Member Van de Roll call.
1: Member Graham? Yes. Member Kratz. Yes. Member McLaughlin? Yes. Member Mastone? Yes. Member Rousseau? Yes. Member Vandekloot. Yes. Melongo no Kern.
0: Yes, seven the affirmative, zero in the negative. The meeting's adjourned. Have a great night, everybody. Bye. Okay. Bye.